Hello and welcome to Sustain. I'm here at the Free and Open Source Software Yearly Conference, but on our Software Freedom Conservancy. That's right. It's Fossey. It's Portland. It's sunny. Anyway, very fun to be here. I'm Richard Litauer, your host. I'm here with another person from Oregon. Is Bend in Oregon or is Bend it in is Washington? In Why do I? This smack dab in the middle of the state. Yeah, I just, I live on the wrong side of the country, man. <laughs> Kyle Weens is here from iFixit. Kyle, how are you doing? Doing great. Excited to be here. Excited to have you. So iFixit, all one word, lowercase, uppercase F, camel case, apple case. What do we even call that? I guess that would be apple case. Apple case. Okay. What do you do at iFixit? We are a giant open source collection of repair manuals. So we're like Wikipedia for fixing things. We are the largest single database of service manuals in the world. Everything is Creative Commons licensed. And our mission is to teach everybody how to fix all their stuff. Where are you sourcing all these manuals? People make them. So just like Wikipedia, people create them. So you're not like dragnetting other people's things and putting them into the database? Historically, we haven't. Historically, it's been created from scratch. Cool. Uh, and we started part of the uh, protest to Apple's overly aggressive copyright regime on their service manuals. They yep. wouldn't share them. And so we said, we'll write our own. And we're up to, we're over 90,000 repair guides that people have created. That's awesome. It's hundreds of thousands of photos. But lately, as we kind of have increasing clarity on fair use options and COVID really kind of pushed us into it. Now we are the largest collection of medical service manuals for hospitals, everything from ventilators to vital sign monitors. And those are all manufacturer service manuals that librarians organize and upload to iFixit. Wow. That is awesome. That is really cool. We have over 25,000 manuals yeah. we work with. Mercy ships and all kinds of medical NGOs around the world with the goal being we want to be totally comprehensive. Anything that you have that you might need to fix in the hospital setting should be on. I fix it. Okay, so clearly doing excellent work, clearly probably saving lives with being able to fix ventilators and the like, especially during COVID. Tell me a bit about your funding model. So we are a for profit company. We sell parts and tools. So it's give away the bits, sell the atoms. So if you need to fix an iPhone, you can buy a repair kit from us. You can get a battery and all the tools that you need to swap the battery in your iPhone for like 25 bucks. We sell, we sell parts for some manufacturers like Samsung and Google use us to distribute parts for their phones. Have you ever talked to Scotty Allen from Strange Parts? Yeah, guy? I'm good friends with Scotty. Really? He's a great guy, yeah. I'm good friends with Scotty. <laughs> he and I founded the company together. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, the fantastic. user is my mom. Okay. Where his mom, Pam, reviews websites. Scotty's like my favorite person. Scotty's amazing. Yeah, yeah, I was hanging out with Scotty at DEF CON. We were walking around with awesome. some very large badges. Okay. Yeah. That makes me really, really happy. Yeah. If, if you haven't looked up Scotty. Right look, to repair supporter. Absolutely. Massively so. Yeah. Uh, he's the coolest working out of Shenzhen most of the time. I think now he's moved to Colorado. He's um, in, yeah. He's uh, setting up his new workshop. Good for him. Okay, cool. That's great. So same company. Great people. Tell me about legal stuff. Surely you must get sued for putting up manuals for things. We've never been sued, oh. but we do get takedown notices regularly. Yep. So we, we, one of our users uploaded a circuit schematic for a MacBook. So full on detailed circuit schematics of trade secret Apple. We got a takedown for that. We went ahead and took those down. We think there's a strong argument for fair use, but where it isn't publicly widely distributed, it's a little bit hard. But for medical service manuals, we have received a number of takedown notices from medical manufacturers, and we work very closely with the EFF. And we have post, you can search on EFF for iFixit, and you'll find some phenomenally detailed refusals to takedowns that we send the medical device manufacturers. We got one from Zeiss, we got one from a medical device manufacturer out of Ohio named Steris, and we told them, no thanks, we're going to keep it up. And we have never removed a single medical manual in response to a takedown. We're getting them regularly, but we tell them no and then go away. 
Wait, so you're getting takedown notices from medical companies and you're not taking them down? Surely that's an infringement of something. So we send them a four-page analysis of fair use. We say- Got it. There's a very, very thin copyright on, on, on service mails. If you step back, you say, why do we have copyright? Copyright's in the Constitution. The idea behind copyright is- It's in the Constitution? Uh, it's in the Constitution huh. to promote science and the arts. And the idea is that society is going to give up some freedom, the ability to make unfeathered copies of anything in exchange for giving a monopoly to the creator to distribute their works. Society should only give up that freedom when there's a benefit. Yeah. The benefit is someone creates music that they wouldn't have otherwise. In the case of a service manual, the service manual is going to be created whether someone gets paid for it or not. So there are four fair use factors that courts look at when they're analyzing whether a use of copyrighted work is a fair use where you can distribute it or not. And one of those fair use factors is the commerciality of the work. How much are, is the company making? How much is their profits undermined by you redistributing the manuals? In the case of a service manual that they're giving away for free anyway, redistributing it ourselves doesn't undermine their business model at all. But someone's being paid to make these manuals. They're getting paid to make the manuals, but they're getting paid to make the manuals because the FDA requires they make the manual in order to get their medical device on the market. Do you have all of the Lego how to build things on your site? No, but there's an amazing, I was just looking at this website yesterday. It's, it's, there's a brick manual site that has every Lego instruction guide. Amazing. Okay. Uh, super cool. Someone will have to Google it and put it in the show notes, but it's quite sophisticated. And I was looking at it, I was like, so I fix it. You know, anything is allowed on, I fix it if it's repair related. Got it. Okay. I'm not sure Lego instructions are repair related. Oof, man, my pirate ship from 1994 needs to be repaired. I'm just saying. So... <laughs> That makes a lot of sense. Okay, that's really, really cool. Now, we were talking a bit before the show started, as I often do. All the good stuff happens before the mic gets turned on. About, you said you had six cases for right to repair in Vermont, but then you said you were in 30 states. What were you talking about? Yes, yeah, so, so we are working on right to repair laws. The idea is if you bought your manufacturer, you sell something, you should make available to consumers and repair shops everything that they need to be able to fix this. That's parts, tools, and manuals, generally. Okay. So if you're Apple and you have a you're selling products and you have your own service network in, say, New York State, the law now is that you have to make available to consumers parts, tools, and information. We have, in the last year, we have passed four bills in three states, and we're working on passing more. So the first bill that we passed was in Colorado. It was an electric wheelchair right to repair law. Imagine an electric wheelchair yep. and your joystick the problem with the joystick, right? It goes out. Not very helpful. It doesn't drive. Not very helpful. So you call your insurance company and yep. say, hey, can I get insurance authorization to pay? And they say no. And you go back and forth. And eventually after weeks, you get the insurance company to grudgingly say, okay, sure, we'll pay to fix your joystick. Then they call one of two companies. There's only two companies that make electric wheelchairs because private equity and consolidation. They in have America. In America. Yep. So, and those companies are like, well, it's Medicare rates. They don't pay us very much. So we have one service guy for the whole state. He'll be there in three months. Yep. That's the current state of things. Meanwhile, you're like, why can't I just put a new joystick in my wheelchair? Yeah. Right. And so we had a an army veteran who is a who is a helicopter pilot who crashed in Afghanistan, was paraplegic, who is elected to the house in Colorado. And cool. he ran the bill along with Representative Tatone, who's amazing. And we got a repair pass for electric wheelchairs last year. And then this year, we, we ran another bill that was for tractors, how cool. to repair farm equipment. I was going to ask you about John Deere. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so John Deere doesn't like us very much. Good. We can talk lots about John Deere. And so we did, we passed wheelchairs and tractors. And then in New York, we passed a broad consumer electronics bill. So that's all consumer electronics. That uh, goes into effect January 1st for all products manufactured after July 1st of this year. 
So it's really the right to repair the stuff you're going to buy next, not the stuff you have now, but it's progress. And then a few months later, we passed a law in Minnesota that is retroactive back to 2021. And that will also go into effect next year. And that will impact anything that you bought since 2021. Now, it sounds like this is all work that should be happening under 501c3. Why is it happening under a for-profit company? What's your bottom line for these? <laughs> this is, I fix it as a, is a, or we're a mission-driven organization. We spend most of our time doing things that don't make us any money. that are just there to make the world better. Now, we do have a nonprofit. So if you want to contribute, repair.org is the NGO that is kind of the trade association for the repair world that's working to advocate for these things. And they're fantastic. So if you want to pitch into the fight, join repair.org. So you've been talking a lot about right to repair, which is something we love here at open source free and open source software world. Tell me about the intersection between right to repair and open source from your perspective. Sure. I'm a software engineer and I think right to repair. The reason that this is such a big fight right now is that we're at this great intersection between software and hardware. Historically, if you had anything, a chair, a car, whatever it was, you could take it apart, you could look at it, understand how it worked, and you could fabricate and make any parts that you wanted. I know watchmakers repair Rolexes, they they need to make a part and they'll just like get some metal and whittle out and they'll make a part. You can't do that in a software-based world. All of the laws that govern what you can do with physical property are not the same as the laws of what you can do with intellectual property. Mm. All of a sudden, when we're repairing products that have a microchip in it, now we have to talk about copyright. We have to talk about that the whole world of fair use and all these complicated topics the free software world has been dealing with since the beginning, but the physical repair world has not been dealing with until the last couple of decades. So there's this great collision between intellectual property rights or lack of rights in many cases, right? We don't have ownership of the, much of the software in our lives and, and physical products where traditionally we did own them. And so I wrote, when we started this fight, I wrote an article for Wired called The End of Ownership. It's about how the copyright legal regime is going to erode all the freedoms that we expect that we have with our physical products. And many of the predictions I made in that piece have come to pass. We now have microchips on all kinds of things. You can't buy a toaster without having a chip and some kind of software. And increasingly, those chips, because of security reasons, have some kind of lock on them. And you can't go in and make software fix changes to them because you're going to bypass a lock. And that's a violation of Section 1201 of the DMCA. My toaster has a lock in it. Your toaster has a lock. I mean, stopping me from what? Dropping it in the bath? Like, well, what it's an off-the-shelf chip that okay. it's some AT Mega 32 that has a bit that you can flip that sets copy protection on the device. And so because of best security practices for embedded hardware, everything has a lock. And, and everything that has a lock then means who has the key? They don't generally give you the key when you buy whatever it is, if it's a microphone or a toaster or a computer. So do you work at all with like software freedom conservancy to like coordinate attacks or preemptives, whatever you want to call them? Right. Increasingly, these worlds are colliding. Yeah. Uh, so we've been working on right to repair for tractors for a long time. And along the way, we said, well, let's just find out. We know there's secret software that John Deere has to repair these tractors. They won't make it available to farmers. It's software that runs on a laptop. You plug in the USB cable to the tractor and you can reset error codes and things that farmers can't. And I got pulled into this by a a local farmer. His tractor wouldn't start because of an error code. And he asked me to come over and he knew I was the computer. And there's one distribution network in the entire state and they cost an arm and a leg. And yeah, Yeah, they have to have their tech come out and they do certain things. And so I wasn't able to fix it for him, but I've been kind of going down the rabbit hole, which eventually led to me working with a security researcher, sick codes. And I bought a John Deere ECU, which is the computer and the tractor. And I mailed it to him and he decapped the board and pulled the chip off and sucked the <laughs> firmware off the chip. And lo and behold, these tractors are running Linux. 
and wine and all kinds of ah, other things. Ah, fun. Yeah. Even better, the old machines, they run Windows CE. So when they wanted to switch to Linux, they didn't want to rewrite all their apps. So they took the Windows CE apps and they run them on Linux running wine. Amazing. So if you're using a modern <laughs> uh, a modern Deer tractor with the touchscreen, it's a Windows CE interface via wine running on Linux. And you know, they mention in the about this tractor, they say, hey, you know, we use GPL software. Ask us for the source code. Oh, they do. Yeah, great. And so Software Freedom Conservancy a couple years ago asked them for the source code. And still hasn't gotten. Which is why they have a public response right now on the website saying, we're asking you again. We've asked privately. Now we're asking publicly. Correct. Amazing. So super cool. Dude, what's exciting for you about this conference? I think, you know, I'm really optimistic that we can take some of the lessons that we've learned about public advocacy about really activating. We have a worldwide movement now. We have legislation moving in four countries and 30 states in the U.S. How do we take that kind of inertia and momentum that we've built on the right to repair front and transfer it over to the open source world. There's this huge potential. And if we look at, you try to fast forward, where is the world of hardware going to be in 30 years? It's either going to be this lockdown Apple dystopia, yep. or we're going to find ways of prying it open. Yep. And right to repair, I call it what we've accomplished so far, kind of right to repair 1.0 has been a wedge. It's been saying, hey, if you have parts, tools, software, you have to make that available. What happens next? Where do we go with right to repair in the future? Those are a lot of the conversations that we're having here. If I'm your average open source user, what can I do to help out? The first thing is, if you're contributing to open source, assign your copyrights to the conservancy, because then the conservancy can use that to continue to widen the impact that the GPL has. We need to get GPL software into as much physical hardware as we can so that the base layer is, is free and then we can work with manufacturers to ratchet things open. I, I think that DDWRT is just one of the most amazing success cases where an entire class of hardware, you have a wireless router, you can wipe out OS and you can put a free, better software on it. Why can't we do that with everything in our lives? Think about all the smart TVs that you buy where they're spying on you. <laughs> like they're actively, Vizio says their business model is to lose money on every TV they sell and make the money selling ads. So why can't we, with the TV that we bought, wipe off the Vizio software, and then install something free. We should be able to, and Vizio is using GPL in their build process, or they're using GPL code to run these TVs. They have not also not contributed source code back, so SFC is actively suing them. Super, super exciting. Kyle, this has been amazing. Thank you so much for coming on. I can go to ifixit. ifixit.com, and yeah, anything you have that's broken, never take broken for the answer. You can fix it yourself. And where can I learn more about you and your work? I am Kay Weens on Twitter, K-W-I-E-N-S. I'm Kyle Weens on Threads <laughs> and LinkedIn. First time we've had Threads mentioned on this podcast. Kyle, thank you so much. I hope you enjoy the rest of the day. Good luck with everything and thank you for the work you're doing. Thank you. Listeners, I hope you have enjoyed this podcast. If you're curious about Fossey, where these were recorded, go to sfconservancy.org to the Software Freedom Conservancy's website where you can learn more about it. It's been really, really fun to be here and have these great conversations about free and open source software. Of course, if you've liked this podcast, please let us know. Like us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you're listening to it. Email us at podcast.sustainoss.org. Give us any thoughts or comments or queries or complaints. We would love to hear them. And of course, please tell your friends. Word of mouth is the single best way to get more listeners on this podcast. And hopefully you think that that's something we should have. If you would like to donate, you can go to Open Collective to sustain OSS, where you can donate to the production cost for this podcast, which is not free. So that would be super, super great. 
And of course, you can join in the conversation yourself by going to discourse with the same OSS.org to go chat. And you can follow us on Twitter at the same OSS, on Mastodon, and I believe on Blue Sky. So thank you so much for listening and take care. Bye.